We're going to open our, our, to the text uh, tonight of Scripture in, in Luke chapter 8. We'll be in verse 22. Uh, while you're turning there tonight, I, I want to introduce our theme uh, for, for our time together tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about the theme of fear. And uh, in your bulletin, if, if you open your bulletin, you'll see a, a title to this message that is um, the question, why are you so afraid? I think that's a question that's worth asking um, in our lives. It's a question worth um, often just coming back to, why am I so afraid? Now, the truth is there's a lot to be afraid of. And uh, I want to put a, a slide up right now. This is from a... Uh, uh, Chapman University, which is in Orange, California. It's a great place to live. And uh, um, this, this study is a study that they do regularly. They've done it for the past few years on the, domain, the domains of fear. Um, raise your hand if you can actually see these words. Okay, uh, here we go. Okay, so there's, there's 10 different domains of fear. I will walk you through it. Um, it starts, uh, we'll start at the bottom. These are the different um, categories of things that people are afraid of. Uh, the government, uh, man-made disasters. Uh, people are afraid of their personal future, of dying, of illness, of uh, their own death, and then the death of people that they love. Um, people are afraid of natural disasters, earthquakes, or, dra- or droughts. Uh, people are afraid of technology, um, like robots. People, I, it makes sense. There's a lot of movies about that. Uh, people are afraid of daily life. It could be romantic rejection or ridicule. Um, people have fears related to the environment and um, pollution and, and things like that. People have fears related to the judgment we experience of, um, of others related to things like appearance or weight or age. People experience personal anxieties, um, tight spaces, it says there, public speaking, welcome to my life, and also clowns. And, uh, <laughs> and then crime. Crime's another category, it's another domain of fear that we can experience. And the truth is, is that fear is alive and well in our world. Uh, fear is even a bit of an industry in our world. It's profitable. There's, um, it's embedded in our culture. It's, it's normalized. And I was considering the list there, um, the different categories of fear uh, as I was reading through that. And I began to feel like it, it, this is like kind of the top 10, but there's, there's something missing According to the biblical writers, there's something missing there. You'd have to read, in the 2018 study, you'd have to read, uh, they list out 94 uh, different things that people are afraid of. And you'd have to go all the way to number 66 to find Satan. And number 70 is demons. And number 79 is God. Right before germs and needles. And it's a telling difference, that, that, that image that we saw in, in the um, data that it, it reflects, it's a telling image of how different our culture is um, from many cultures around the world, but also um, how different it is from the culture that the biblical writers were speaking into and the, the people that they were engaging with. It's, our culture is far different than theirs. Now, the biblical story states that fear goes all the way back to the garden. And in the biblical story, fear is primarily a spiritual issue. 
you've read the, the story of the scriptures, the, it begins in a garden uh, where a good God creates everything and he creates people. But it tells the story of how there was opposition to God. There was an enemy to God and he um, tempts and, 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 and leads the first humans into a rebellion against God and they sin against God. Now you know the story, most of you probably. And, and, and then it, the story takes a turn because God comes after the people who have sinned and rebelled against him and they're hiding from him. And when God walks through the garden looking for them, the man responds by saying, I, I knew you were coming and I was afraid. And then fear works its way, embeds itself in the lives of humanity. It's everywhere. Now in the, the gospel, according to Luke, this idea, this theme of fear comes up at least 55 times. I don't think it's a stretch to say that fear is a major theme in Luke. But there's something interesting that is fear um, has both positive and negative outcomes when it's mentioned in, in, in Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel begins with a guy named Zechariah who has a, a encounter with the angel of the Lord. He's a transcendent experience and he is terrified and it leads him to doubt. And then one of our very next characters in Luke is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she encounters an angel. She has a transcendent experience, but rather than moving to doubt, she begins to worship God. And so fear is, is, is a spiritual issue, but it's even a part of the way that, that people encounter God. When people see the powerful works of God through Jesus, they're often fearful. And so we're going to talk about fear tonight. And as we open up the passage of scripture, I promise we'll talk about the Bible. <laughs> we'll look at it together. But I want you to think about this statement. I want this statement in your mind and, and even in your heart today as we, as we read through this. It's, um, it's this. It's fear will either lead us to Jesus or away from Jesus. In our passage tonight, we're going to see, we're actually going to look at two different stories tonight. Um, and in each of these stories, we see two, let's call them categories of fear. The first category of fear is, is, is external. It's visible. It's the kind of fear that you can see. And the second will be um, more of an internal uh, kind of an invisible fear that is often unseen, and it's the fear and torment and turmoil that happens within a person. And what we'll see as we look at the scriptures tonight is that Jesus is Lord over every kind of fear. And so Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? 
and they obey him. It's a powerful passage. This is a passage that's clearly about fear. Each of the synoptic gospels include this story and the next one that we'll look at tonight. And in Matthew and Mark, in in the story, they, they add a little detail that Jesus asks his disciples, why were you so afraid? Why were you so fearful? The answer, I think, would be quite obvious, wouldn't it? They're in a storm. Now, there's a few details that, that, that I think might help us kind of get in into the picture with them. The lake that they're referring to is the Sea of Galilee. Now, this lake is about 700 feet below sea level, and it has hills surrounding it. Now, the eastern side of the lake has particularly steep hills, And so what would happen often is is cold air would would shoot through the gaps that are created by the rivers and and this cold air would collide with the warm air above the lake and it would create these um, squalls. It would create these storms that would be unexpected and um, come out of nowhere. It could be incredibly dangerous to to sail on the Sea of Galilee and And that's actually what's happening here. But it's worth remembering, if you know anything about the disciples of Jesus, is that a significant portion of them are fishermen. So a significant amount of them would seem to know how to handle a situation like this. But we learn really early on in the stories that they can't. They have no idea. Their their own uh, ingenuity, their own sense of, of how to navigate The seas have been completely overwhelmed by something greater than them. The boat is filling up with water and they call out to Jesus. We are perishing. Fear is in the boat. Fear is the overwhelming emotion in the boat, in the story. But Jesus is in the boat too. Did you notice that? Jesus is in the boat and he's asleep. Seemingly useless in the, in the predicament that they find themselves in. Jesus is taking a nap. And it's a great contrast to what's happening with the disciples and then Jesus in this um, state of slumber. And so they begin to call out to him. One of the, one of the gospels, um, Mark, he, he is often giving a little bit more detail. He's like, don't you care about what's happening to us? And Jesus is asleep in the storm. Now, there's a lot, a lot has been written about why Jesus is asleep over the years. People have lots of comments. Some people think that Jesus is, is particularly tired because of a lot of ministry that he's been up to. He's so busy. He's so busy that he could sleep through a storm. Um, that may be true, but I don't think that's what's going on here. Sleep, the idea of sleep in the ancient Near East was actually um, a symbol of power and rule and sovereignty. I want you to think about that for a second. Sleep is bigger than just something we do when we're exhausted. It's something we do when we, when we have power. And so Jesus is asleep not because he's aloof, I think we could say that Jesus is asleep because he's the Lord. He's aware of his power. He's aware of the power of his father. And so because of that, in a moment that is so overwhelming for his disciples, he 
can in fact rest because he's Lord of the storm. Now we've, we've seen Jesus throughout the gospel of Luke in um, many different lights. We, um, last week we saw Jesus, the teacher, right? He's teaching parables that are um, revealing and concealing great truths. And then tonight we see that he can't be left in the category of great teacher. He can't be left in the category of the, um, what would have been considered a kind of traveling rabbi of the first century. He's not willing to, to let us leave him in that category because he is the Lord. Colossians 1.16 tells this about Jesus. It says, by him all things were created. And it goes on to say, he holds it all together. So Luke is, is building this magnificent vision of Jesus in the boat. He's revealing more of who he is. Oftentimes when I'm trying to figure out what's going on in the passage of scripture, I open the Jesus Storybook Bible. Do you have this, any of you? It's so good. Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. That's all. And the strangest thing happened. Listen to this. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. They listened to Jesus. They did what he said. Immediately the wind stopped. The water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. Then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends Why were you scared, he asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet, as quiet as the wind and the waves, and into their hearts came a different kind of storm. What kind of man is this, they asked themselves anxiously. Even the winds and the waves obey him. I love that. The thing, the thing that I find so um, confounding about this story is that Jesus calms the storm. And maybe you notice that, and they're still afraid. The uh, um, great pastor named Tim Keller commented on this passage. He says, they were afraid of the storm, but they're terrified of Jesus. And isn't that interesting? They're afraid of, of, of this uh, of this kind of power that is in their midst. But I love what it says right after that. It says that they marveled. Because they were afraid, but they marveled. They didn't move away from Jesus. They began to start asking deeper questions about him. Who is this man? See, I don't really think that Jesus is scolding them in this passage. Because the disciples are constantly revealing to us that faith is a journey. It's taken step by step. Luke, at the beginning of his gospel, says he's giving an orderly account, but also he's giving us, he's giving us the journey of faith. That we can't just fast forward to the end where we know everything that we could possibly know. He says we, we, we grow along the way. And so they're afraid, but they also marvel. And they begin, I think, to start to become worshipers. Fear is in the boat, 
but so is Jesus. And the other thing I think about this, 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 uh, this story that's really hard, because it is about, it's, it's teaching us something about our lives. Um, the hard thing about this story is it's, um, it doesn't say how things always turn out, does it? The truth is, is they were delivered from this storm, but there'd be many more storms for these disciples. All but one of them would, would, would give their life for Jesus. So it can't be just telling us that Jesus always delivers us from the storm. But I think it is telling us that Jesus delivers us through the storm. As I was reading this, um, this passage this week, I began to think about a hymn that I love that uh, we're going to sing tonight. I have the words of this hymn in, the, in this uh, frame in, in my office. And it's a hymn written by a, a man named Horatio Stafford who um, experienced a great storm in his life. Now, what happened with, with him was he, he was a wealthy businessman and um, he uh, and his family were preparing to travel to, to England um, and he got held up in business. And so his wife and daughters um, sailed to England before he could. And on their way, on their way to England, they, there was a terrible um, crash and, their, and their, their boat sunk. And all of his children died and his wife survived, barely. And she messaged him a note that said, all, all have perished but me, what do, what do we do next? And so he took the next ship to, uh, across the Atlantic to, to be with his wife. And along the way, as the story goes, along the way, uh, the captain of the ship let him know that they were at one point in the same waters where, where, um, where the previous ship would have sunk. And in that moment, there's a crisis, I think, that Stafford is, is experiencing. Is he going to now move away from Jesus, who seems to have not delivered him from the storm, or is he going to move to him? And he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I love that. Thou hast taught me to say. Because you have to learn faith. You have to learn how to follow Jesus through those moments. The domain of fear is where we learn faith. So the disciples are asking all these questions. They're, they're wondering, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Jesus says, well, where's your faith? And they're like, who even are you? And then the story kind of just hangs there, as stories often do in the Gospels. The stories hang there, and we move on to a new story. And the interesting thing is, is the, the disciples' question of who is Jesus is going to immediately be answered by the most unlikely person ever in our next passage. This is a turning point in Luke. 
The question, who is Jesus, will be answered throughout the entirety of the rest of the gospel, and we see it coming from a place we might not expect. And so let's get back into the passage. In verse 26, it says this. Then they sailed. This is just, they just, they keep going. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For you commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot, right? <laughs> it's a little bit to take in. Here we're in another, another category of fear, right? And this, this kind of fear that, that we're looking at in, in this story now is the kind of fear that is, um, I'm going to argue that this kind of fear is just as real, if not more real, than the storm that the disciples were just in. But this, this fear is, is internal. It's, we, or we may say that this fear is um, invisible. This is the, the kind of torment, the kind of fear and torment and turmoil that can ruin a person. This is a spirit of fear. And what we have here is a man that's possessed by demons. And now we've really tran- transitioned, right? From Jesus the teacher, it's like, here's Jesus the exorcist. And, and that's where we find him right now, as we get the full scope of who he is. And I, and I want to be totally honest. I, I believe that this story is completely true. I don't think that we're getting a simply metaphor here. I think we're getting something that actually happened and something that the scriptures often tell us is a true reality in our world, the spiritual realm of darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says this. It says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the Bible boldly declares that there is a fear underneath all the other fears. Remember the ten domains of fear? There's something underneath all of that. And this man has been possessed to such a degree that he is naked. It says he, rather than living in community, he lives among the tombs, among the dead. We know that it's, it's driven him out of his mind. And to such a great degree that the, the people in his community try to stop him by chaining him down, but he's able to break through those chains. And it's really intense, right? 
and this is where Jesus is. This is like, it's like we got through that storm, and here we are to the next one, right on to the next one. And there, what's happening in the story, as Luke is describing this man, he is, he's like setting up an epic showdown between Jesus and the demonic. Previous showdown between Jesus and the seas, Jesus is Lord over that. And is Jesus going to be Lord over this realm of darkness, over this kind of fear? And it's a resounding yes. I don't know if you noticed this, but when, when, when Jesus shows up, the man approaches Jesus and he's tormented immediately. The demons begin to speak out. They're, the tormentors are tormented by Jesus. They're begging him not to torment them. They say, please don't send us into the abyss, which the abyss was, was, a, um, was kind of an illustration of hell. And I asked Adam if I could call this sermon, Jesus scares the hell out of demons. And he told me no. But I still told him I was going to say it to you. So fear is terrified of Jesus. Just, just let that sit with you for a second. Jesus shows up and the tormentors are now tormented by Jesus. They're pleading with him. They know who he is. So there's the answer. Who is this man? The disciples, those who have walked with Jesus for some time now, their question is answered by a legion of demons. And here we are. And the rest of the gospel just keeps expounding this truth. Jesus is the son of the most high God. And the enemy knows it. And he's terrified of it. And so they beg permission. Rather than be thrown into the abyss, they ask if they could be sent into these pigs. And if this important little detail, they ask to go there. Jesus doesn't send them there. So don't like call PETA or go blaming Jesus for... Sending them to the pigs this is what they ask for. And Jesus gives them permission and they run into the water and drown. And that's the story that we have here. The waves were no match for Jesus, but now even the deeper spiritual power is no match for Jesus. What we have in the rest of this story is we have a character study of how people respond to Jesus' power. It's another, we've seen how the, how the disciples respond to Jesus. They're afraid, but they're wondering and they want to know more about who he is. But now we have these other characters who are responding to the power of Jesus. And in verse 34, we pick up the story again. It says, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. The herdsmen would be the ones who were I guess in charge of the, they're like the shepherds of the pigs. Now, just for a second, can you just imagine you're telling your boss what happened to the pigs? They're like, where are the pigs? We lost the pigs. How do you lose the pigs? Do you remember the guy who we couldn't keep control of? Well, he actually had demons in, and this guy, Jesus, showed up, and the demons went in the pigs, and the pigs drowned. I mean, just go with it for a second. This is like, this is their response. So immediately they're talking about what has happened. 35, it says, then the people went out to see what happened. This is the people of the town, the people that weren't there. They go out to find out what happened. It says, they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, 
And they were, what's it say? Afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. They asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat and returned. First category of, 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 um, of responses to Jesus is, is the people. It's the crowd. The crowd is, is, a, is a common theme throughout the gospel of Luke. It's people who don't know what to do with Jesus. They're not marveling. They're not worshiping. In fact, they're moving away from Jesus. Did you notice that? Like the, the demons are begging Jesus to leave. The people are begging Jesus to leave. They're like, please get out of here. And I think what's happening in this passage right here is, is, is Luke is amplifying something that I think is true, that is universally and timelessly true about fear. And it's this. We are often more comfortable with the presence of fear than the presence of the power that can drive fear away. We're, we're more used to it, right? The domain of fear, it's so big, it's so vast, it's so normal, it's so part of everyday life that in a strange way, we prefer it. Fear's grip on our world is, is so strong. That's how we know how strong it is, is because we're more comfortable with it. We're more at home with fear than we are with Jesus, and Jesus, as we see in this passage and in passages we've seen in the past, and we'll see it all the way into the end of Luke, Jesus has the power over darkness, the power over sin. But do we actually want him to exercise that power? That's a real question in your life. Do we actually want him to display that kind of power. And, and I think what Jesus is revealing is that we have this strange preference to death over life, to slavery over freedom, to fear over faith. And it's the grip of fear in our lives that we would rather just live in than respond to Jesus. And so again, we're faced with that question. Why are you so afraid? There's the people. But there's one other character. Say that in, in many ways, the main character of this story, and that's the man himself. So before encountering Jesus, the man is naked. He lives among the dead. He's uncontrollable. And after encountering Jesus, who is Lord over the natural and the supernatural, we find the man again and he's clothed. It's a massive turnaround for starts. Transformation of his life. He's, um, not only is he clothed, but it says he's in his right mind. It says not only is he in his right mind, the, the man who was breaking chains and uncontrollable is now sitting, it says, just calmly at the feet of Jesus. It's, it's almost like the waves that had calmed. Now the man who's experiencing this inner turmoil, this inner darkness, this fear that has um, taken control of his life has moved from chaos to calm. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. That phrase, sitting at the feet of Jesus, is, a, is an image of discipleship. 
he is now a follower of Jesus. And it terrifies these other people. And what Luke is showing us is he's showing us the picture of salvation. In verse 36, it describes the man as being healed. And the word healed is, is the word sozo, which means salvation. So what Luke is talking about is he's talking about a great deliverance that this man had experienced in his life from fear and from torment and turmoil. But he's saying something even more than that. This man has been forgiven of his sins. He's been cleansed of his sins. He has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And all this through an encounter with Jesus. And his response to Jesus is incredibly different than everyone else in the story, in the entire story, even back to the disciples. His response to Jesus blew my mind when I read this. In verse 38, it says this. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. That's a great verse right there. Write that down. Jesus says, go go tell people about what God has done. And he goes and he talks about what Jesus has done for him. The townspeople, the the disciples, the demons, all are afraid of Jesus, but this man isn't. Many people are pleading that Jesus would leave, but it tells us that this man is begging Jesus to stay. This man is saying, wherever you're going, I need to be there. Whatever you're doing, I want to do. And he longs to have a relationship with Jesus similar to the disciples, similar to the 12 who will travel along with him. And Jesus gives him a different assignment. Jesus turns this man into one of the first evangelists. Do you notice that? He's like, I want to go with you, Jesus. Where are we going? Where are we going next? And Jesus, this is amazing. Jesus hasn't given up on the people that just asked him to leave. So he sends this man back into the city that he came from, back to the people denying Jesus, back to the people who want nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus is still interested in them. Jesus is still pursuing them and he uses the best illustration possible, a human being who's been transformed from fear to faith. Amen? Amen. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. And we're back at that first theme, aren't we? Fear will either lead you to Jesus or away from Jesus. Now, this is, this is not simply something that happened 2,000 years ago. Fear is in our own life. When you read the, the list of fears, I'm sure there were ones that resonated with you. The word fear, just saying the word fear makes us more fearful often. And, and so I think, I think that it's good for us to be in the boat, right, with the disciples. 
it's good for us as we're in the boat to know that Jesus is in the boat with us. And I want to give you a couple of things. Because Jesus is in the boat with you, I want to give you a couple of things that, tonight that I think could be helpful when we think about fear. And the first thing is this. I think this actually happens in the, in the passage of Scripture. The first thing is this. Name your fears. It's a very simple idea, but it takes a lot of hard and regular work. Would you agree with me that some of us are so entrenched in fear that we don't even know what we're afraid of sometimes? Like I don't even like I feel this inner turmoil often, but it's it's hard to even put my finger on what it is. That's how pervasive fear is in our lives. And when we have unaddressed and unnamed fears, it, it leads us into isolation and anguish. And this man in the story is a prime example of what happens when we're ruled by fear. Fear all sorts of things. And I think one of the things that happens is I think the older, maybe you resonate with, I think the older we get, the more we try to deny fear that we're afraid. Is anybody with me? Maybe, maybe not. Like my kids are like, no, I'm afraid of that. And I'm afraid of that. And and at night, if they're fearful, they, they, they can put a name to it, right? But, but we, we, we grow up, and then we just start to be like, I'm not afraid of anything. And so we, lived in, we live in this world where we can't name our fears. We don't know what to do with them. We don't know um, what's actually going on in the turmoil that we experience inside of us. And I think that like the disciples, we should just call out to Jesus and say, we're perishing, And name our fears. There's a storm in my life. And that's step one, I think, tonight, is to name our fears. But you can't end there. We can't stop there. Here's step two. I want you to write this down. Name the one who is Lord over your fears. If you just name your fears, you'll just be constantly calling out, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of this. But do this, name the one who is Lord over your fears. This comes from one of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Listen to this. He says, we name the one, we name the name of the one who makes the evil inside us recoil, who makes fear and anxiety themselves tremble with fear and puts them to flight. We name the one who overcame fear and led it captive in the victory procession, who nailed it to the cross and committed it to oblivion. We name the one who is the shout of victory of humankind, redeemed from the fear of death, Jesus Christ, the crucified and living one. He alone is Lord over fear. It knows him as its master. It gives way to him alone. So look to Christ when you are afraid. Think of Christ. Keep him before your eyes. Call upon Christ and pray to him. Believe that he is with you now, helping you. Then fear will grow pale and fade away, and you will be free through your faith in our strong and living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? This, the man who wrote these words made it through many storms, but lost his life 
for the sake of Jesus in opposition to evil. So I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus' work of fear has to go deeper than just the circumstances of our life. His work is to free us from the sin and the, and the shame and the fear that we are controlled by inside of us. Jesus says, I'm, I'm, he- I'm, I'm getting after that. And when he does, then whatever happens in the storm, he'll deliver us. Whatever happens, we'll see the deliverance and the salvation of our God. And that, I think, is what this passage is telling us tonight. And there's no, um, perhaps no greater response, this is what we do every week, than to come to the communion table where we see Jesus' ultimate showdown with fear at the cross. We remind ourselves yet again of his great love, of the depths that he would go to free us from fear and from slavery. And so tonight, if you follow Jesus, if, if, if he saved you, we want to encourage you to come to the table and, and remind yourself of the things that he has done for you. What has God done for you? Whatever, he's done it through Jesus. And so we proclaim and declare that together every Sunday night. If you're hearing the good news of Jesus for the first time tonight, then, then we believe wholeheartedly that tonight you could step into relationship with Jesus. That he wants to free you from the fear and the anguish and the turmoil that you have experienced. And so if that's you tonight, please come and pray with someone. Um, I believe there'll be a team of people over here that would, would love to pray with and for you. And we're going to spend some time responding to Jesus together. As we sing, come to the table. As we, um, as we sing these songs, be, would you declare to your own heart what Jesus has done for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. And we thank you for what you've done. And we pray, Lord, tonight that you would help us. Help us to... Um, help us to not run from you in the midst of the fear that we often experience, but help us to run to you. You tell us that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. We pray that we would receive that together tonight as a worshiping community as we look to Jesus together expressing our our love for him. We pray God that for every hurting heart in here, every heart that has been ruled by fear, whether it's circumstances that are out of their control, whether it is inner turmoil that they experience, Lord, we pray that you would calm our fears and that you would give us a great faith in your son Jesus, who we love and who we worship. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.